Hello and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Tony Tresoni, the family pastor at Westminster Baptist Church in Westminster, Maryland, along with... Ben Palaz. I'm the family and children's discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia. Wonderful. We are glad to have you joining us and listening today. If this is your first time listening, we are a podcast that's dedicated to equipping and training parents as well as children's ministry workers to disciple the children that are in the, your area of influence. So we are talking about an, an important grave issue today, and Indeed. we're talking about <laughs> we're talking about death, perhaps in some ways the darkest, but and many other ways, the most hopeful conversation that we could have. So we're going to be talking today and, and finding ways that we might help address the difficult conversation of death with our children. start, I, I recently watched an old video, a uh, video of, from Sesame Street years and years ago, where Sesame Street famously addressed death. The actor that played Mr. Cooper died in the show, and the show's, uh, show's uh, showrunners and writers had to make the decision, how are they going to handle the death of this actor? And they decided, instead of recasting, instead of saying that this character moved, they were going to have this character actually die in their in the show Sesame Street. Uh, I, I was watching how they famously handled it. They actually brought in child psychologists as well as a bunch of different experts to help explain death to Big Bird, who was presented at the time as kind of on the level of a preschooler. And what was interesting in the conversation, it showed Big Bird had a hard time grasping the idea of death, what death was, and they kind of ultimately explained the, the reality of needing to die as he's not with us anymore, and when he asked the question, why, it was, well, just because, just because. <laughs> the, that explanation of death in Sesame Street was pretty frank. But sometimes we're not quite as frank with children when we talk about death. What are some clever, dishonest ways that you've heard of death being explained to children, Ben? You know, just generally making it sound like it's something that is not. Often one that I've heard is, uh, you know, God needed that person in heaven or God needed another angel or, you know, something trying to put a, a nice face on it. You know, this person's take, just sleeping forever, or, you know, something like that. Um, I, I haven't, I mean, I, I think those are not good. I haven't heard anything where I thought, man, that person should be, become a fiction writer. How about you? I had a friend in college who had explained to me that they were told by their parents when they were a child that their great-grandmother, when she had died, she went to live on a remote island far away. I think that was probably the most <laughs> radical and, and interesting presentation that I was given of that. So, the you know, the far more common one you'll see, especially with animals, I mean, I'm sure you've interacted with a, with a parent that's explained to a child that Sparky didn't really die, that... Uh, that Ruffington or whatever the whatever the family dog name is didn't really die. He just went to live in a farm upstate. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just this, an unnatural thing in so many ways, and so it, it is, and it's uncomfortable, you know, in our society. Why, with that said, why is talking about death so uncomfortable in America, especially when we talked about death with children? I think we've sanitized it so much 
we have long life expectancy and good health care and all kinds of things like that, which are blessings uh, in our society. And so because of that, it's almost like we expect not to die when, you know, all these diets and exercise. And so if someone does die, they sue the doctor or the hospital, you know, that this was a mistake. This shouldn't have happened. And I'm not saying, I mean, obviously there are cases of malpractice and things like that, but we just expect that it shouldn't happen. It won't happen. And so most people on average die in old age and you know this is a good thing but we want to shield our kids from pain and from hard things and so I, because of all those factors kind of swirling around we tend to uh, just become very uncomfortable talking about it I've heard a, about a man who's I mean he's could be our grandpa maybe or father at least uh, talking about his great-grandfather who had been born you know many years before and lived in London he said you know they just he died they put him in a box on the the table in the kitchen there and people came by to you know pay their respects and you know see his grandmother um, you know now it's a lot more you'd have you know restorative arts or whatever it's called trying to put a, a, a nice face on the deceased and just make it I guess make better of it but yeah absolutely I was reading recently an article in the American Psychological Association where effectively the American Psychological Association was noting that death is a taboo in America and really is one of our most famous taboos we don't like to talk about death we don't like to talk about those kind of serious topics like that Mm -hmm. and I think one of the reasons why and in our world today and 21st century, we don't really see death happen anymore. People don't die in their homes, like you kind of described. Instead, people typically die in hospitals or they die in hospices. Mm-hmm. Uh, they die kind of far away from them. Even when we go to a funeral that, you know, the body is embalmed, death is not really something that we engage, truly engage with in that kind of way. Uh, You know, I think also we so in America prize individualism and we prize the idea of opportunity for all that the end of these things, which is death, seems pretty un-American to most people. Death is a very un-American thing, one might say. Right. You pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you don't die. Absolutely, yes. Uh, You know, we do not grieve well as a society, I have to say. Uh, Even sometimes we don't do funerals well. Funerals can very quickly become a way of actually avoiding death rather than addressing it. I've been to, I remember when I was in high school, I went to a funeral of a a family friend up in Wisconsin. And instead of being an actual funeral, they asked all those who were in attendance not to mourn at all. And so we're just going to remember the positive things. We're just going to talk. We're not going to talk about his death at all, they asked people. Instead, we're just going to talk about positive memories that we had with them. And I think it's really a distortion. You, you don't actually process the death when you just uh, when you ignore it in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think even the way that we talk about these kind of things. In America, we typically don't say that people die. We don't mm-hmm. say that somebody died. We say, you know, they passed away. Yeah, they passed or they passed away. I, I've, I've picked up on that. And then, I mean, I... I don't tell people, you know, oh, so-and-so is taking a dirt nap now, but, you know. I hope not. No, but I think, I mean, it does try to put, and, and you know, there is, uh, there are places in Scripture that use euphemistic language for dying. 
and, and maybe there's symbolic theological significance there. I mean, I think, yes, you can make the case. But, but yeah, we, we just don't like to kind of face it for what it is. Yes. Now, with that being said, do you think that past generations, especially past Christian generations, avoided death, especially around children? Um, you would know better than me, but... You know what? What comes to mind is, and I'm not really overly familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, but I do know the first question, and it's, "What is your only comfort in life and death?" And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. So, just right out of the gates, teaching children, uh, you will die and you will face death around you, but Christ is the hope in that. And so, back then. You know, mortality rates were much higher and life expectancy was much lower, and that was the case for quite a while. You couldn't avoid it. I mean, people, and they didn't have big fancy hospitals and, you know, funeral homes and things like that. People died at home, and, you know, you buried them on the family land that you had. I mean, cemeteries developed, but so there was really no getting around it. Yeah, absolutely. I recently, my wife and I watched the new Beauty and the Beast movie, the remake, and I remember in it they depict how, uh, spoiler <laughs> for those who haven't seen it, the main character, Belle's mother, had died of the uh, of the plague, of the bubonic plague, uh, when she was a child. And they depict how, you know, how ravished their family must have been to see see their mother die in front of them like that. But in reality, there's historically inaccuracy there. That was normal 500 yeah. years ago. That was normal two, 300 years ago. That most people, even children, saw loved ones die. Mm-hmm. Literally would see a, a dead body. You know, we today we might make a TV show even or a movie about the nature of a child seeing a dead body. But just a few hundred years ago, and if you go to different parts of the world, even still today, a child seeing a dead body on different occasions was a relatively normal thing, even of siblings, even of loved ones. Mm. You know, even child mortality rates were dramatically higher in the past. So most past generations lived in a healthy realization of their own mortality, that they knew that they were going to die. They knew that uh, they can't live like they're going to live in this life forever because life ha- life will end and i think that is what so often shaped uh, the english puritans even you know realization of the frivolity of life and what and why bother then in that sense living for this life because it's just going to end and it's going to have sorrows it's going to pain we're going to lose our loved ones uh through sometimes great suffering so christians were not afraid i think to talk about it and just like you talked about in the heidelberg catechism they're not afraid to talk about it and talk pretty openly about it in the past ben do parents have to explain death to their children i think they do I mean, I think it really falls under Ephesians 6, 4, where fathers are told to, to raise their children in the, the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And, you know, death is really, I mean, it plays a big role in Scripture, and it's, it's something, I mean, we're all going to face. I mean, Luther talked about how theology is about living and dying, and so we've got to prepare our kids to do that because we want them to die well, and 
you know, Lord willing, we will die before them, but we want them to be prepared for when we're gone and other people that they know and love are gone. And, I mean, there's more that we're going to get into about why we need to do that, but uh, I really do think it, it is something that's on parents to do. Yeah, I've known of parents that have asked teachers, and I know of even another a pastor that has been asked by different parents to explain death of their children so that the parent doesn't have to. But frankly, it is. Explaining death is one of the key areas of what it means to be the primary disciple of your children. It is mom and dad's job, and this is not something that you can pass the buck on. This is far too personal to pass the buck on. Mm-hmm. Now, is the death conversation something that should be delayed substantially for children, perhaps even delayed until they're adults. I mean, I think it takes parental wisdom, but, you know, I don't know that you should necessarily set some age, but, again, death is coming, whether it's relatives, it's pets, you know, roadkill, whoever, friends at church, neighbors. You know, you don't have to hang out at the funeral home and just always dwell on it, but it, you, you just can't hide. It's a reality, and so I don't think... I can't even hide from the death of the Orioles' playoff chances. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's kind of like that down here. You know, the Braves are just sort of fading. They're, but yeah, I, I think it, it does. It, it helps you to explain and to teach the gospel, but um, so that, you know, obviously you want to start teaching your child about the gospel early on, and so this factors in. Now, yeah, I agree, absolutely. You know, I think that's not something that we need to delay a lot. I mean, this being said, I would in no way, shape, or form advocate that one should have their toddlers watch the Saw movie so they can have a pers- close personal feel of what death is in a very vulgar way. Uh, I would say that if that's something that you're tempted on, I would urge you to strongly reconsider. Yeah, wait till first grade. Yes, at least. You know, I think that being said, it should be delayed as little as intellectually possible. I think the reality is a four-month-year-old cannot really understand death. But I think as they begin to understand the world around them, we should we should use that as an opportunity to teach them rather than as an opportunity to delay. You know, I don't think we do this in a way that to try to scare kids at all, but instead mm-hmm. to teach them truth and to teach them worldview because death has a major facet of worldview and a major facet of defining what reality is is defining what death is and the reality is it's going to be defined for them if we don't define it for them mm-hmm. as with almost anything in worldview exactly now now with that then can someone truly understand life without understanding death hmm that's that's kind of tricky. I mean, can you understand God's mercy and His grace without His justice and His wrath? You know, I, I mean, I don't read Genesis to say ultimately that humans would have died um, apart from sinning. I mean, in Genesis three, they they weren't forbidden from eating from the tree of life prior to the fall. So, I mean, that gets in some pretty deep questions about God's plans for salvation and sin and all those things. And so, you know, I'm hesitant to speak too far there. Adam was living life before there was, you know, before he faced death. I mean, some suggest that animals died prior to that. I mean, I I really don't know. And so I guess I'm just a little hesitant there. I think knowing about death and knowing that I will face it, it does shed something, a, a new light on life. And, you know, Moses prayed, you know, teach us to number our days 
so that we may gain a heart of wisdom, knowing that our days are numbered, and so to make them count for God's glory. And we don't know the number of those days. So, I mean, I think it does give us an insight into life that we wouldn't have. But, you know, getting into God's mind on that, I don't know that we can fully get to the bottom yeah. of that. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, it has much to say of our understanding of life post-Genesis 3. I mean, I think the nature of life, I'm not sure, I agree, I'm not sure the extent to which we can understand it with or without understanding death. But and, but I do think it shows us if we don't understand death, we don't understand uh, we don't understand what we truly are post-fall, and we can't really understand our insignificance as well, which is honestly as much as our 21st century culture craves that every, every child is the most important child in all of existence. You know, I think it is important that we understand our insignificance next to an eternal God that does not need to die. Yeah. So, What is death then according to the Bible? It's being cut off, you know, cut off from physical life, from spiritual life and connection and union with God. Um, I mean, I think it's the deterioration or the corruption and the ending of life. Kind of like evil is the, the distorting, the twisting of good. You know, God himself, as John 5.26 says that he has life in himself and he, he granted the son to have life in himself. He's the author and sustainer of it. And so it's being away from him. And it, when we're away from him um, in our rebellion and our sin, it leaves no other option other than death. And so, I mean, it takes on many facets, but I, I think, you know, you could, we could spend a long time talking about that. But Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think to really summarize what I, I see in Scripture, how it presents death, is really I think it presents two different things that are death. One being the temporary expiration of our physical bodies, uh, and the second really being eternal punishment apart from God. So that uh, so even Scripture talks about a second death, mm-hmm. and uh, the so I think it can be really one of two different things in that way, but both of which are very important to understand. Mm-hmm. Now, what does Scripture tell us is the reason for death? Well, it is judgment for sin. You know, Romans 6.23 talks about the wages of sin. It's sort of the, the fair wages, the fair market value, so to speak, for sin, for turning against God, for rebelling against Him, not loving Him. Adam's sin has brought death to everyone who is in him, it's in his family, so all, all humans. We're also sinners by our, our nature and our choice. Um, we've all chosen to go our own way. And so it's the consequence from turning from God who's the author of life and a blessing and of goodness and of joy. You know, there's nothing good to be found away from him. And so, you know, we're all under the sentence of death because of our sin. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that is so important, that connection to Adam. Uh, Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, which being referring to Adam there, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. And really, we see Adam sinned, and he brought the reign of death. The reign of death came because Adam sinned, but it continues to reign because we all sin. Mm-hmm. There's an, an, uh, there a clear link in Scripture between uh, sin and death. Now, that is not to say that we all die, that someone dies earlier than another person because they sin more than the other person. But apart from sin, there would be no need for death. 
And, and indeed, we die because we are all broken. We're part of this broken world that we are, that we are created to, to serve God and glorify him and enjoy him forever uh, in every moment. And we die because we don't do that perfectly anymore. And we die ultimately be, as well because we live in the land of decay. Since the fall, all creation groans death took over. Whether you believe that there was death before the fall or not, there's no question that this world as a result of the fall is in a state of decay and death. And so death ultimately comes because we live in that land of decay, this broken world. Mm-hmm. Now, how does the world understand death differently from Christians? Lots of ways. You know, it just depends on the worldview. Um, you were talking about that earlier, how uh, death is... I mean, everybody's got to deal with that question. And some people, it's just, you know, you're just expiring. Um, it's just the natural cycle of things. I mean, I thought of the, the song of the Lion King, the circle of life. It, it moves us all through despair and hope, through faith and love, until we find our place on the path unwinding in the circle, the circle of life. You know, bring you back to your childhood, Tony. <laughs> Yes, um, but yeah. I'm actually going to be referring to the Lion King in a sermon soon. So, oh, okay. Are you going to do like the, the chant thing as you do it? <laughs> yeah, I left that part out. But you know, I, some people, depending on what part of the world or what you know the the school of thought is on that, but it, it's not seen as the consequent for uh, for sin. It's not in terms of our broken relationship to God. It's just well, this is how things are. Absolutely. Yeah, I I really think back to the Sesame Street episode I was referring to earlier. And I, you know, to be fair, I don't watch a ton of Sesame Street, but I thought that clip spoke a great deal of our culture's values. And even as it said, it mentioned child psychology being a major part. It describes death to Big Bird as, as why do we have to die? Well, just because. Just because is cruel, though. Just because makes death pointless. You know, I think that there's little more uh, that brings greater despair than death being that cruel and pointless as happening, you know, just because. The the world sees death in that way as being pointless, as as having no hope to it. Uh, apart from Christ, the world and, and its own values uh, sees death sometimes, especially if when you look at the naturalistic world, as just being natural and normal and part of the, the natural steam of this world, just kind of everything passing on, just like he said in The Lion King. Yeah, it's just one p- more part of that the great span of the circle of life and Mother Earth. Right? That's right. Mother Earth and Father Sky. And... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's so very different then. And that is, I think, why it's so important to help our children understand death well and from a biblical perspective. Because the definition, even from something like the Lion King of death, is going to be far from the biblical definition. Can children understand the gospel if they don't understand death, Ben? I don't think that they can. Now, obviously, it's not going to be on the level that an adult, either their understanding of the gospel or of death, um, but realizing death is a reality that all will face, including that they will face. I don't think that they can really see the good news because the good news is good news against the back, the backdrop of the bad news. You know, you won't seek a savior if you don't think you have a problem and you need someone to save you, uh, and that there are very bad consequences waiting for you because of of you know your sin. 
Um, and so, I mean, it is heart-wrenching to see a child coming to grips with the reality of death or just even knowing that that's coming. They're going to have to wrestle with that. I, My oldest child, uh, a couple months back, we had some sort of bad weather. I don't remember if there was a tornado or some flooding or something. And she heard some people in my family talking about it. And I don't remember if, if anyone actually even got hurt or there was just report someone had spotted a funnel cloud or something. But then that night I was putting her to bed and then she just, now she's a, she's th- feels things deeply, but she got upset and started crying and said, it's just not fair that, that God would send this thing and that these people would die. And I thought, where did this come from? But, you know, she was really just upset and broken that these other theoretical people, again, I don't even know that someone actually got hurt, that they might, their life might be ended. And so it is, I mean, it it is an emotional thing, like when you see a kid have to to grasp that, but they're going to have to come to grips with it to really understand and believe because Jesus delivers us from from death, from eternal death, you know, and and through the resurrection, um, so spiritually and physically. Yeah, I I don't think they can even remotely understand the gospel and truth apart from understanding death. You know, they can't, how can one understand the gospel in that kind of way? I mean, the gospel, a very basic definition of the gospel is is really the good news of Christ Jesus' death on the cross in our place to take our punishment. And so how can you possibly understand, one, Christ's death if you don't understand death, or, you know, the our place part, our taking our punishment if you don't understand death. Apart from that, you know, I think that all the Christian message we can bring to people is, you know, as be chipper, be better, have better behavior in that way. You know, I think that's that's why there was such dramatic problems of the presentation of the resurrection in that curriculum that you mentioned one time that avoided Jesus' death because, you know, they don't want to deal with something that's that dark mm-hmm. or that mature. But, you know, I think in a very personal way, I know even my, my wife, she was forced to understand death as a child more than a lot of other children did when she was four. Her older sister died. And she and she had not, she'd heard the gospel message before that, but it kind of made the gospel message real to her. Death is a real thing, and uh, the and Jesus truly did die, and she grasp that in a way that she never had before, and in a way that changed the rest of her life from that moment onward. Mm-hmm. Is death, in any sense, a hopeful thing for Christians? We've been pretty despairing thus far. Has death in any sense the hopeful thing? It is. I mean, and it, it's appropriate to treat it as a sober thing, but it, it does actually serve us, Paul says. And, you know, even though we still feel the sting of it to some extent, the, the final sting of death is gone, but it, it does still hurt when someone we know, we love, dies. But Christ has overcome the judgment of death. I mean, life has won. We won't, for those who trust in Christ, we won't stay dead spiritually or physically. Uh, And that's why the resurrection is such good news and is such a hope. It's not that we're going to go to heaven and, you know, play harps eternally on the clouds, but that God is undoing an overwhelming sin and the work of the devil and and what comes with that, and that's death that, that he has overcome. And so death brings us to God, and our faith will become sight. I think of 
Uh, in this question, it makes me think of John MacArthur, a story from John MacArthur I heard years ago. Uh, John MacArthur, uh, several years back, he had some major surgery, I think open heart surgery. I don't remember exactly what it was. Too much fried chicken, probably. Uh, probably, yeah, exactly. So He's not ba- He's not Southern Baptist. That's though. true. He lives in L.A., man. He's probably eating tofu he and stuff. That's, <laughs> I, don't, I can't see John MacArthur eating tofu. <laughs> He went went on the operating table, and he describes it as how, you know, there was a real possibility that he could die. And at one point, he kind of he woke up on the operating table, and he was trying to figure out what was going on. And part of him thought that he had died, and was in glory, was waking up in glory. And then he realized that he had merely woken up from his surgery, and he was, and his first feeling was disappointment. I think John MacArthur in that way has his head on his shoulders. We should be disappointed to not be with Jesus, though. We are called to use this life to serve. As, as Paul himself said, you know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And right. to die in Christ is 100% gain if we're in Christ Jesus. So we welcome, and we complete our pilgrim days if we're in Christ Jesus when we die towards uh, our great heavenly home, much like Pilgrim's Progress did. And I think when we see that, we can understand the hope that heaven is a great promised land that we're heading home to. Mm-hmm. You know, that being said, it is still sad. And we do cry out. We cry, come Lord Jesus, in the face of death. When we lose our brother or sisters in Christ to death, when we are separated from them for a time, we still cry out in despair and, and call on, come Lord Jesus. And even Christ himself was saddened by death. How practically does a parent or a children's ministry worker explain death to a child? And I do want to preface this. It should primarily be a parent that does this. Yeah, that's a good point. I think practically speaking, it needs to be preemptive as much as possible. Now, sometimes that doesn't happen. Something happens and the conversation is just you're forced into it. It's helpful, I think, if you can do it preemptively so that they're not in the middle of pain and hurt and confusion and, you know, fear, but sometimes that's just, that's when it comes about. But uh, I think you, you tell about Genesis 3 and about sin, and I think you've got to frame it correctly in terms of our broken relationship to God and not go the, the Sesame Street route. I mean, I applaud Sesame Street for talking about it, but saying that, well, <laughs> just because, it just is. I think you, you have to show, again, that, that we are in relationship to God and that it's a broken relationship. It's a way of God showing us just how bad and how awful our sin is. And none of us, I mean, none of us, I don't, you don't, naturally, or even with teaching and growth and godliness, come see just how repulsive and how outrageous our sin is. And so we need to help them see and feel that a little bit emotionally. That's, you know, what it it is. I I read an article a couple years ago, and I just revisited it. Uh, I think it was last week. This guy is actually Lee Strobel's son, Lee Strobel, the guy that's written all the the Case 4 books. His son wrote this article talking about shepherding children and Um, He said one night he was putting his own daughter to bed, and I think she was maybe six or seven, and and she asked, Daddy, will we die? And he said, you know, yes, honey, we will all die. And, you know, he wanted to 
make her feel better. He said, but I knew that the for the long term, she needed to just process that emotionally, the, the, the pain of that. And he said, and so, you know, I just cried with her and said, I'm sorry, honey, I'm so sorry. And just let her see the weight of, of sin. And that is incredibly healthy, by the way. It is. I mean, it's hard to do. And my eyes are getting a little misty thinking about it, you know, doing that kind of thing with my own children. But I think letting them see that how big of a thing this is. But also he said that later she would be ready to hear the hope of the resurrection and it would be go, oh wow, that is really good news. And not just sort of, the, oh okay, you know, that's nice, so let's, let's go play. And so I think seeing that and then and connecting it to Christ's triumph over sin and over death and, and so that that hope really shines brightly so that they see that sin, as scary as, as death is, that it doesn't have the last word. Yeah, I think we do need to have that talk just in those kind of ways. Like you talked about the struggle, we need to have those kind of interactions. But, you know, I think even there are other little things that can help us. Help children have to practically kind of in some senses engage with death. You know, I find it amazing how, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to just associate with those in the same stages of life with us. It's very... Even when we have families, you know. And I think when we do that death can very easily become a separate thing from our children. You know, the only people that might be in poor health, might be older, that they know would be their grandparents or great-grandparents. Mm-hmm. But I think in a very practical way, it can be helpful to get to know older church members, know church members that are in different situation, know church members that are in hospice, and get to know them truly and closely as their brothers and sisters. Not just for the be- the many benefits that you'll get from it, and you will get tons of benefits from it as well as they will but to expose your children to people on different stages and as that happens when life takes a turn for for the worse when death seems imminent don't avoid that with your family you know i think it can be helpful to visit brothers and sisters in christ and hospice with your with your children in a joyful way not in a way that forces them to do something that they're not ready for but in a way that says you know we love this brother or sister we know that he's about to come home go home to the lord and we want to love on him while he's in pain and even then to explain when brother a brother uh, john or sister susie goes to the goes home to the lord and death explain you know what what happened to brother uh, brother joe or sister susie uh, I think tell them, though, that we we won't tell them rightfully. In some ways, Sesame Street wasn't completely wrong. I think we won't see these brothers and sisters anymore during this life. And I think that's something a child needs to understand. That is something about death that is hard for a child to grasp, and you have to explain that we will not see so-and-so anymore. We're not. If grandma's in Christ, we will see grandma again in heaven if we're in Christ too. But we're not going to see grandma in this life anymore. And grandma's not going to come back to life. And, uh, and one day we'll go be with her forever if we're, if we're both in Christ, but she's not coming back to life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in that, then go back to, you know, when it happens, why does this have to happen? Why does so-and-so have to die? I think, like you said, go back to the fall and sh- and show sin, but then show the hope that we have in the gospel, despite the cruel reign of death that uh, of what it appears to be. I think even a little thing, I know sometimes, I've known of Christians that have gotten pets, pets to create that kind of emotional tie with a knowledge and somewhat intention that 
that dog or that cat's going to die before terribly long. And it's going to help your child have to engage with death, on a, probably on a lesser degree. But I think if we make the transition correct, we can use those things as kind of a tool mm-hmm. uh, to help our children uh, progressively understand death. Not to tell them that you know dogs go to heaven or our little, uh, little, our little kitty cat is redeemed in Christ Jesus, though. <laughs> yeah, some would say certainly cats are not in heaven, but... No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> now, what are some unhelpful ways that Christians can describe death to children? I think making it sound overly happy or unhappy, you know, just the, just because, well, just, yeah, you just die and that's it, or just making it, you know, too sunshine, and we need to pretend that it doesn't hurt when loved ones die, you know, we're just going to remember their life and have a, um, a happy time. Um, I think, I mean, it, yeah, certainly you want to remember uh, positive things and thank God for the memories that you have and the times that you shared with that person. Um, but it also does, it hurts. And so I think also, you know, I, we talked about this in the beginning, but like telling them that God needed angels or something that, I mean, just yes. that's inaccurate. God does not, he doesn't need anything and, and he doesn't need to use people to make them into angels. You know, we're two different kinds of creation and so we, we will not become that. And so you don't want to give them those kind of explanations. Or I, I looked online and, you know, some people would say something like, oh, well, Bob was so good. Grandma was so good that God just, you know, took them to heaven. And I mean, that gets again into some problematic teaching too. But I think just trying to be realistic about what it is and, and not give a overly rosy or overly, you know, dark picture of it. Yeah, that's good. I think the worst possible way that we can describe death to children, the worst way that we can interact with children and death is to act like good people go to heaven. Mm. And I think that is so tempting when we face death to effectively abandon the gospel. When when uh, l- when little Johnny, our kid little Johnny, loses great-grandma so-and-so that never truly trusts in Christ as the Lord and Savior to say, you know, well, great-grandma was a good person, that she was nice to people all during her whole life, and so surely she's in heaven. I don't think that we need to be overly grim and talk about loved ones being in hell exorbitantly, but I think if we allow that pain to distract us from the gospel and to allow us to allow our children even a little bit to buy into a false gospel of moralism i think that can do undue and extreme damage to, to children's understanding of the gospel uh, not i think in that also though not treating it as serious again talking about it seriously not really engaging with it and and sometimes even avoiding it you know i know of some criticism I read some reviews of Sovereign Grace Music's children's CD, and one of my favorite CDs they have done is the it's called Theology, mm-hmm. a kind of based on a book by Marty Machowski, and some of the reviews talk about how oh that that CD talks mentions death too much, and even mentions Jesus's death too much, and it's just not appropriate for a kid to engage, in, and it's just too sad because they see that death is sad and that sin is sad. Mm-hmm. I think if we don't see sin and death as serious, we can't fully grasp this life or the life to come. But I think also it can be easy sometimes that 
even overly simplify and treating the body like a shell. I think that is a way that both the children and with adults that Christians can fall into an error, you know, to say that this is just a shell, a shell that so-and-so had. This is not true that when we visit the grave, this is not truly your grandma, this is not truly your grandpa. Well, in truth, yes, grandma or grandpa, if they're in Christ, are living, living in soul with Christ Jesus in heaven. But that is still very much grandma and grandpa. We are still complete. Our body is very much core to who we are. And one day we'll be reunited body and soul. But acting like the body, you know, is just kind of a shell for the soul, I think is an also unhelpful way that we can describe death to children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, with that, hopefully that you found this podcast to be in somewhat encouraging and not just uh, as deadly as it might be presented as. Uh, <laughs> and if you did enjoy our podcast today or enjoy our podcast in general, we encourage you to like it on any of the platforms. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We are on iTunes, as well as leave a positive review. You know, especially in iTunes, positive reviews are one of the keys to reaching out and growing a greater market and reaching more people with our message as well as tell others about our podcast whether it be through social media or in person. You know, if you'd like to contact us, uh, you can reach us through Twitter. I'm at Anthony Tresoni and I'm at Ben Palaz. And we'd be happy to answer any questions you might have or perhaps if you'd like to make some suggestions about future discussions we'd be happy to hear that as well. Thank you for joining us and we pray that God blesses you. Amen.